0: How y'all doing? That's good. You guys are getting better at this. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for your promises, that you're clear in setting forth all of the things that are on your heart, and it's your desire to give us exceedingly abundantly beyond all we can ask or think. Holy Spirit, take the stuff I got to say today, land it in each person's heart, in the place that they're walking with you, the understanding that they've got would be increased. You'd encourage where there isn't maybe a lot of encouragement. Holy Spirit, do what you do best. Make your people better. Amen. Recently, Hanny talked about sowing and reaping. It's been about a month now, but sowing and reaping. And I wanted to continue doing that, and at some point I'm going to. But I talked to God about it, and he said, you need to do first principles before you do sowing and reaping. So I asked God what first principles were. Now, an example of first principles is when you're learning mathematics, you start out with addition and subtraction. It's really, really hard to do trigonometry and calculus if you can't add and subtract. First principles are addition and subtraction. So what I felt like God said is we need to go back to first principles before we do sowing and reaping. So today, we're going to talk about money. There just wasn't any you know, round of applause or excitement at all. If anybody comes back next time I speak, we're going to talk about tithing. <laughs> well, we got one person that's going to help today. One other point before, before I start. By the way, Axe, I know you've heard some of this, but I got some new stuff in here, so it's new for you guys, too. At least some of it. One other point before I start today. If the issue of money causes you to cringe, I'm so pleased because I could put cringe in a sermon, causes you to feel uncomfortable, maybe a little bit defensive. It simply means that you have not yet settled the issue of money in your heart. That's all it means. doesn't mean it's bad, but if you get that thing like, ugh, it just means it's not settled here. Let me give you an example. If I instead said, today I'm gonna to talk about adultery or murder, most people wouldn't cringe at all. they go, oh, I wonder what, what he's gonna say about it because, you know, it's okay. People would not be okay. Why not with adultery or murder? because we've got it settled in our heart. We're fine with that not being okay. When the subject of money comes up, for a number of people, it's kind of like, okay. And that just means we haven't yet settled it in our heart, all that God promises, declares, and says about money. Are you feeling better? That was underwhelming. Remember, money and tithing are first principles. Sowing and reaping doesn't work well if we haven't figured out and come to the place where money gets settled in us. Money and tithing are the addition and subtraction in the kingdom. We're not going to move on to sowing and reaping with impact and effect if we haven't got these two issues settled. So, if you don't get anything else today, and you may not, if you check out, but if you stay with me, I want to suggest you can have a breakthrough in the whole area of money. As I'm talking about tithing next week, or we address the issues of why tithing doesn't seem to, or sowing and reaping doesn't seem to work, which is going to come after that, you can get breakthrough. And remember, if we can learn how to add and subtract, then we can move on to trigonometry. So that's why we're doing this. If you don't get anything else, breakthrough and freedom with the issues of money and tithing position us to receive true riches. Breakthrough and freedom with the issues of money and tithing position us to be able to receive true riches. Anybody here want true riches? Two people. The rest of you are not going to raise your hands no matter what, right? Three. Oh, we've got three. We're on the way. Turn to Luke chapter 16. We're, we're going to read probably one of the least frequently read Parables. Luke chapter 16, stay with me for just a minute. We're going to read all 13 verses of the parable and Jesus' interpretation with it. Luke chapter 16, verses 1 to 13. Jesus told his disciples, There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him and asked him, What is this that I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be a manager any longer. The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do. When I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, How much do you owe my master? Verse 6, 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 400. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He said to him, take your bill and make it 800. Verse 8, the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is a parable, not an allegory. An allegory (coughs) means everything in the story represents something. You know, the the clouds in the sky and, and the bird that landed on the tree and the color of the grass, everything has meaning in an allegory. In a parable, there's just one point, The the details aren't aren't specific or necessary. We just get the one point, and this is a parable. I'm going to start with the main point to make sure we don't miss it. Then I'm going to go back through the story a little bit, and I'm going to land on a verse that I feel like God wants to highlight for us out of this parable. So verse 13, keep your your Bibles open or your phones open. Um, Stay off Facebook for the next 20 minutes or 30 minutes. You can really live okay without responding to the text message. They will make it. In fact, you might even want to text them about how God's bringing you some revelation. Verse 13, no servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This verse is about as unequivocal as it can be. One or the other. There's no middle ground. And that's uncomfortable sometimes. We want to have wiggle room. We live in a culture where everybody's okay, everything's okay, do whatever feels good to you, and then Jesus comes along and says, one or the other. You cannot do both. Now, the word money in the NIV is translated most times as mammon, and the, and the Greek word is actually mammon. What mammon is is more than money. Mammon is the whole system of value that, we li- that lives in our culture. How much do you make? You're measured by what, how much money you have. What's in your bank account? What's your title? Those kinds of things. How many degrees do you have? All of that is the system of valuing people through what money can do. So money is at the core, but mammon is the whole system. And he says you cannot love the system on planet Earth as how money values things, and then love God. You cannot do both. We having fun so far? Okay. Now, mammon is not about how much you have. You can be completely poor and be entrapped by mammon. I saw the other day A homeless person with two shopping carts trying to navigate them, filled with stuff that they probably haven't seen. It's sort of like the bottom of our closets. But it was his shopping carts filled with this stuff. Mammon can get him just as much as someone who has a lot. God is not trouble with money. Some of the richest people recorded in the Bible were God's kids. Abraham, David, Solomon, Job, all kinds of people. God does not have a problem with money. God does not want money to have you. And that's what mammon does. I'm driven by that. It's a contributing factor to why when we say we're going to talk about money and tithing, and people kind of go, yeah. Hey, hey, hey. Of course, you don't say it out loud because then everybody knows you're having trouble with it. But. God does not want money to have you. In verse 13, Jesus makes it clear there is no middle ground. You're in one system or the other. And it's something we need to get because it's easy to get caught in that in our culture. Everything gets balanced around money. My business is successful if I'm increasing my sales. I'm more secure in my retirement if my RRSP is goes up you're aligned with mammon it's all okay but if that's where your confidence if that's what your identity if that's where your security comes from we're aligned with the wrong team we will hate mammon and love God or we will be devoted to mammon and despise God Bob Dylan wrote a song called, you Got to Serve Somebody. And it's basically a laundry list of a whole bunch of things. You can do all of these different things, but in the end, you have to serve somebody. It may be the devil, it may be the Lord, but you got to serve somebody. There has to be a choice that's made. And if we compromise it, we aren't compromising at all. We're aligning with mammon. Now the parable. The first seven verses is the story. It's the account of an unrighteous steward, and a steward is someone who is given charge of someone else's property. This guy was in charge of all the property of the rich rich man. After the rich man discovered the steward had been unfaithful in his stewardship, the rich man asked the steward to give an accounting of the finances. Now before the meeting, the unrighteous steward said, I'm going to get fired. I don't want to go beg. I'm, I, I just can't go out and dig. I got to do something to make sure I'm okay. So basically he steals from some more from the rich owner. He says, hey, how much do you owe? Mark it down. You don't have to pay that much. It's all free. What was he doing? He said, if I do this, then there's going to be a place of security for me. They will invite me into their home so I won't be out on the streets. And then look at verse 8. Jesus is just, it's almost like he chooses to kind of poke us sometimes. Jesus is quoting this parable, and he says, The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. Isn't that weird? Come on, God, really? That's your example? Why? Because the people of the world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of light. Now, to be clear, the rich man is not praising the steward for being dishonest. That's not what he's doing. He's not saying, way to go, you stole from me. That's not the point Jesus is making. That goes against everything from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible that Jesus taught. So it's not about... You did a good job. You stole more from me than you've already stole up to this point. The point of this verse is that the people who are in the world system of mammon use money more wisely than the people of light, that's us. We use money less wisely in the system of the kingdom than the people of the world do in the system of mammon. He used money the way he should. That's what the commendation is for, saying, way to go. You operated within your belief system and did exactly as would be expected by someone in that belief system. And then he says, the world is better at using money in their system than Christians are in our system. See, we've tended to look at money as being bad, but not bad enough that we don't want to still get it. The accumulation of stuff shouldn't do that, but not so much that we don't accumulate way more stuff than we're ever going to need. I'm just sorry. Nobody needs 47 shirts. We don't. But we accumulate these things. Look, what Jesus is saying in verse 8 is not a compliment to us. It's a pointing of the finger that says, look at what they're doing is wiser than what we're doing. Because we're treating money less effectively in the kingdom than the world does in the world system. The steward used money to ensure his future by saying, I'm going to discount this stuff so these people will take me into my house, their house. Christians too often do not use money in the kingdom of God system for our benefit and blessing. And then he starts to develop it. Verse 9, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Jesus is saying, use worldly wealth because there's nothing wrong with money. Everybody hear that? I'm not down on money. All things being equal, I'd rather have money. I love when someone wants to go to a really nice restaurant and takes me there. (laughs) One that I couldn't afford to go to on my own. That's great. We're going to the park for a picnic next week. If you've got one of those really fancy shaded tents and stuff, invite me. I'll come sit. There's nothing wrong with money and stuff. As long as the money and stuff doesn't have you and drive you and define you. Use money and the things that money can, can get for us in a way that produces eternal outcomes. We'll talk about that in a minute. Verse 10. Okay. Get the excuse me. Excuse me. Get the recording or come and talk to me afterwards, okay? Verse 10. Whoever can be trusted with very little can be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with little will also be dishonest with much. Now, what is the very little? Worldly wealth or money. Mammon says money possessions and the like, are the most important. God says money is the very little. It's not that it's not okay. Remember we said addition and subtraction. Yes? Money is the addition and the subtraction in the kingdom. God says money is the very little. It's not wrong. It's not bad. It's just very little. Low on the kingdom scale of significance. What we do with money is the basics of addition and subtraction. If we are not wise with money, we will not be given more. Now, how many people said they wanted more? Some of us. He says if we're not faithful with the little, we're not going to be given more. God says money is the very little. It's not wrong. It's not bad. It's just very little or low on the kingdom scale of significance. What we do with money matters, but if we use it wisely for kingdom purposes, we'll be trusted with more. So verse 11, so if you have not been given, I'm sorry, if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? If worldly wealth is the addition and subtraction of the kingdom, and here's where I want us to get for the next couple minutes. If worldly wealth is the addition and subtraction of the kingdom, true riches are the trigonometry and calculus of the kingdom. Once we get the basics, then we're going to get more. We all said we wanted true riches. This is how we get it. We're faithful with the little. We're faithful with money. We're faithful with ties. And that opens up the opportunity then for us to get true riches. So what is true riches? We ought to know what we're aiming for. And I firmly believe, we're going to talk about this a little bit more, but I firmly believe true riches is not something in heaven only. True riches is something that's available for now because money isn't going to be a real big currency when we get to heaven. This stuff he's talking about matters to us now. If we're faithful with money and the money system That's going to position us for true riches. I submit to you, you can get your own definition, but I submit to you, this is the definition of a definition. I won't say the a definition of true riches. They are anything that can only be obtained or received through the power of Holy Spirit. If we can get it on our own, we don't need God and we don't, the system doesn't matter. True riches are things that we can only get through power of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians talks about the riches of God's glory, part of true riches. God's wisdom and the riches of God's wisdom and knowledge in Romans. God's goodness and patience, also in Romans. Romans. God's grace in Ephesians. Getting that grace, God's wisdom and knowledge is true riches. True riches includes the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The world system knows a kind of joy. God says, true riches are joy unspeakable and full of glory. The world can find peace. God says, I will give you peace that you can't even understand, it'll go beyond your ability to understand. I went over to somebody's house the other day, was just sitting there, had been kind of busy, I was doing all kinds of stuff, just kind of sitting there. A person comes up to me and said, "How do you carry so much peace?" Well, it's a God thing because I'm not particularly feeling any significant peace. It's part of stepping into true riches. True riches include the gifts and the power of Holy Spirit. The world system has elements of these, but it's God's true riches that takes gifts and power to an entirely different level. True riches bring the power to declare healing. True riches bring the power to declare healing. The world doesn't have a system like that, and yet many of us have experienced either receiving healing because of the declaration, or we've been the ones declaring and seeing other people get healed. True riches brings the power to declare deliverance. When somebody's oppressed by demonic activity, the Western world medicates them. The Eastern world struggles with how to even do that. The, the, there are, are <coughs> there are categories that would, people would have that they would do exorcisms, but true riches says, stop it and leave. Only comes through the power of Holy Spirit. The ability to prophesy words from God or speak in a language that's unknown to us. True riches brings those things. Anything that we do, that can only happen because of the power of Holy Spirit. Money is nice to have, but we can't take it with us. No matter how much stuff you got, it stays here. It reverts to its original owner. See, when we're talking about and I'll talk about this more um, next week. When we're talking about, or next time I speak, when we're talking about tithing, we don't tithe because God needs money. He's not like, I got to pay the bill, keep the sun going and all that kind of stuff. You know, he's, it's, it's not a problem for him. He owns all the stuff. He loans it to us. And then when we die, the stuff goes to somebody else. It reverts to him and he gives it to someone else. We don't tithe because God needs it. We tithe because we need it. We address the issues of money as first principles, not because God says, I want you to be poor. No. He says, I want you to be free. I want you to not be in bondage to the paycheck. I want you to not have to worry about paying off credit cards. I want you to be confident that you're going to be taken care of. I want, when you look at your account online, that you don't go, <sighs> or <laughs> depending on whether your retirement account went up or down. It's the starting place to qualify us for true riches. I am firmly convinced, and this is just my opinion, but I am firmly convinced God has blessed some of the the times when I've given prophetic words to people that have changed things around in their life significantly, not because I'm that great of a person, but because I've addressed the first principle of it's about God, not mammon. And that qualifies me for true riches. When I'm praying for people to get well, I'm a lot of times inside I'm going, Oh please God, come and do something. They get well because I qualified for true riches. Not because I'm some super you know Christian that never thinks bad things and never says bad things and never screws up and makes terrible choices. Why am I continuing to come back here? Because If we don't address the system of money, we will not qualify for true riches. The two don't mix. True riches has an eternal outcome that the world has no response for. Because part of true riches is being forgiven of our sins and coming into relationship with God for eternity. That's true riches. We get to see true riches here quite a bit recently. And there is no substitute in the world system for that. Somebody say amen. Is no one getting saved in your life? Are we doing the stuff right? About two or three times down from now, I'm going to talk about why sowing and reaping sometimes doesn't work for us the way we expect it to. But we aren't even qualified if we haven't addressed this fundamental issue because we want true riches, right? Why do we talk about money? Because we want true riches. Now, in the last couple of weeks, City River has enjoyed... A small measure of true riches join in our service I mean just in our service the last couple weeks we've had true riches because people have accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior in church that's true riches just a taste of it people have been healed of physical pain and disease in our church service that's true riches A couple of weeks ago, a woman was delivered from occultic demon possession in our church service. True riches. And that's just for a couple of hours on Sunday. It's happening during the week in cell groups and when people meet up and they send texts to other countries or whatever. But I tell you the truth. In a group this size where we haven't talk, talked about finances and money and tithing, we're only getting a taste of it. Because I'm pretty confident. I don't know. I don't see anybody. I don't know who ties. I've been asked by the treasurer, Do you want to know? I go, No, I don't want to know. <coughs> I treat everybody the same way. It doesn't matter how much you give. But on average, in North America, and I don't believe this is an average church, but in average, in North America, the giving is 1.9%, not 10. So there's a high likelihood that some people here haven't been tithing. No condemnation. No condemnation, right? You remember that from Corinthians? There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This isn't about give. Or feel bad. This is about positioning ourselves for true riches. Somebody say amen or help us or something. This is about positioning to be able to see the kingdom come in ways we've never seen it. And I, I, I want to tell our community a truth. We've only touched the surface of true riches in this community. Now, there's a, there's a number of churches in this city, a number of churches that have gone years without somebody getting saved in their church. I'm so happy I'm not a part of that community. Not because they're not good people. I just want true riches. That healing is normative. It doesn't happen for everybody all the time, but healing is normative here. We pray for healing, and people get healed. Not everybody, not all the time, because we've got a piece of it. But I want to suggest we're going towards a more normative community of true riches. People who are living with joy instead of depression. People who are living with an optimistic outlook of the future instead of dread. People who are living in a close relationship with God instead of one that's far away. People who are declaring the power of God instead of the power of the enemy. But we've got to get... First principles. As a church, community, we give away at least 10%. I don't know what the statistics are. It doesn't matter. But we're giving at least 10% of what we get in away. We're supporting missionaries, and we're supporting you know, radio programs and, and all this kind of stuff around the world because we as a church have to do that as well. So when your tithing and offering is given, one at least a tenth of that is going out because we have to do the same thing because we as a community want to qualify for true riches, amen? This matters because if we do that, if we are not bound by oh how are we going to pay for this or how are we going to do that, what's going to happen to us then we get true riches. And we'll get more and more and more of it. And we can do more and more of it as more of us in the community are willing to address that. It's not about being bad. Please hear that. It's about we want more. I'll give you another try. It's not about being bad. It's about we want more. We want to see more salvations and more healings and more people being sent out to, on missions trips and, and more that we can contribute to people getting free. We want to have multiple language services here, and we want to have healing teams and discernment teams and people be equipped to do um, ministry in the marketplace. We just barely touched true riches, but we're on the way. Why does this matter? Verse 12. And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Want property of our own? Want stuff in the kingdom of ours. These are gifts. These are things I'm competent with. These are things I'm fluent in. Anybody want that? An increase in gifts and fruit of the Holy Spirit in our life, evangelism, deliverances, healings, all that stuff. We want true riches. To enjoy these benefits, we first are required to be trustworthy with the property God has given us. We're supposed to be stewards of the things He's given us. So the obvious question arises. What is the property God has given us? Which leads me to the next time I'm going to talk. That topic is tithing. Leviticus 2730 says, the tithe belongs to the Lord. Now, some of you immediately are going to say, oh, that's under the law. No, no, it isn't. Tithing was instituted about 400 years before the law. The law validated tithing. Jesus, in Matthew 23, validated tithing as a component of walking with God. And several of the church fathers talked about tithing. Augustine was, in particular, when Augustine was was writing and doing uh, what he was doing in terms of leadership in the church as a church father, he wrote that the church was in disrepair because the church had disregarded the tithe that the earlier fathers had walked in. So the tithe happened before the law, was validated by the law, was validated by Jesus, and was validated by the early church fathers. And God wrote, the tithe belongs to the Lord. So we are given this 10% that doesn't belong to us. It's your rent for living on planet Earth. You do not want to be evicted. Thank you. We really don't want to get an eviction notice that says, "You have to leave the property." That's what God is looking at. Are we faithful with His property that He's given to us? If we're trustworthy with a tithe, we will be given something of our own. Try Tithes are the trustworthy test. To get something for our own, but enables us to move from very little to very much. Tithing kind of says, How much do you trust me, and how trustworthy are you? Because it's first principles. We're doing addition and subtraction because we want to do calculus and trigonometry. There's some of you here, I'm sure, that have found out that you can live better on 90% blessed than 100% not blessed. How much do you trust God? Because this is, is a, uh, the tithe is a trustworthy issue. It's a stewardship issue. It's the door that opens to let us into the true riches that God desires to give to us. God is looking for people who are wise in the kingdom use of money. See, if we all actually tithe and gave offerings, God says, I'm going to give you stuff you never thought you could get God is looking for people who will use money to gain eternal outcomes I'm faithful with a tithe so then when I talk to somebody about Jesus their hearts open and they receive Jesus and I get an eternal return on that I give a prophetic word to somebody and it changes the, the trajectory of their life, has eternal consequences. You'll have to wait. I was going to tell you a story, about one of the things of eternal consequences that came out of a, a relatively simple prophetic word I gave somebody that impacted an entire people group. But I'll have to wait for the next time. No time. See, we're using money. We tithe, we give the money tithes and offerings, and we get things that change the world. That's what true riches are. God is looking for people who will be trustworthy with the small issue of money so that they can find the big issue of true riches. Breakthrough and freedom with the issues of money and tithing position us for God's true riches. And City River, we are looking For true riches, stand up. I'll get you out by one. Put at your hands, receiving, Father. I thank you for breakthrough in the area of money and the use of money in this in this people. You see their hands that say, God. Pour into me what I need so I can get there. Father, I ask that there would be breakthroughs in thinking about who do we actually trust. That there would be a breakthrough in how do I really value the issue of money. Do I matter because of money or does money matter to define me? Father, you've said that you want to lead us into all freedom. And I ask that each person whose hands are out today would receive from you a blessing of grace and insight and wisdom to know any potential entrapment of the world system of mammon and the power of their words to break that off and step into the confidence that you are going to take care of each one of us. And you're going to, because of the corporate choice we are making, we are going to align with you to care for what is not ours so that we can get what is ours. In Jesus' name, I bless you with courage to choose God. I bless you with a confidence to know that his unlimited riches in all measures of life are available for you and me and us because it is the intention of God to bring true riches to this community. And everybody said amen. Have a condemnation-free week as you chat with God about the issue of money. Well, next time you see me, we'll talk about tithes.